This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Monday. It's hard to believe we're starting a fresh week. It's July 18th, and the industry of agriculture continues to move forward. Crops have been developing over this weekend. Lots of heat and some moisture for folks here across the Corn Belt. We'll talk weather in segment two with John Baranek of DTN. And in segment three of today's show, we're going to check in with Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress, about what has developed here in D.C. over this past week. And she took a look back at President Biden's plans to enhance competition in the agriculture space. And she'll provide us an update on how that assessment has gone. At the end of the show today, we are going to get excited for Farm Progress show just a little over a month away. We're about 35 days away from heading up to Boone for that event. We'll be there with Trelleborg Wheel Systems at the end of the show. Matt Youngman, director of the show site at Farm Progress, and Chris Neidert of Trelleborg will be on the program to get us a little fired up and tell us what to look forward to as we get close to that Farm Progress show in Boone. But folks, if you have awakened this morning and you've checked one of your apps for the market prices, you have noticed that things are moving today in the grains we have a lot of green on the screen joining me to help break down today's movement is jim mccormick he's a partner over at agmarket.net and jim it's nice to see this green on the screen today for producers looking out there is this all concern about weather going forward i think that's probably about 95 percent of it the weather is definitely a concern we are getting a little bit of lift i think mike on the macro front we've seen a lot of liquidation the last couple weeks where where traders are just getting out of all the commodities well, after the bad CPI inflationary readings we had last week, you've got some people arguing maybe we saw peak inflation. I mean, if you look at the price of you know grains off their summer highs, a couple dollars, energies twenty dollars off the crude high, so that's allowed the macro picture to firm up a little bit. We've got crude oil up over four dollars, so I, I think that's given a little bit of help, at least not any headwinds. But really, it's the weather right now. It's this really warm, dry weather in the western plains and northern corn, you know, western corn belt specifically. That's really got the trade concern this morning. And Jim, you mentioned the macro issues taking part in today's markets. You know, we look at the dollar index today. It is down huge. We're down, what, 77 basis points already today. That's one of the biggest moves we've seen in a while. I imagine this is also a tailwind for commodities. Well, that's no doubt about it. I mean, I think you're, they're all kind of in correlation. As the dollar was moving higher the last couple of weeks and months, you saw a lot of liquidation out of commodities. This dollar's, you know, gotten over 109 here last week. It's now down closer to 107. As that lessens a little bit, that will make our products a little bit more competitive. So, yeah, that's definitely a good thing to see. Hopefully, we'll see this, uh, you know, this break in the dollar lead to a little bit more export sales. All right. While we're talking macro impacts here, Jim, commitment of traders, how are we seeing the money flow really start to, to represent itself here in that report? Well, what you're seeing is what we've seen. Like I said, is you're seeing a lot of spec money that, you know, early in the year, the trade, the mentality was own commodities. That's how you hedge inflation. Inflation is going to be red hot. I want to own commodities. Well, ever since the Fed came in here and really started raising interest rates here in the last go around, and now they're talking about a full point possibly this time around, what that's told, Mike, is that's told those speculators that bought commodities as inflation play, look, I'm working against you. I'm trying to drive the prices down. The old line is you don't fight the Fed. It may take time, but eventually the Fed will be get the policy they want and get the economy to do what it's going to do. So that essentially told those speculators, those funds who were along all these commodities, just to get out of commodities. And we saw that liquidation over the last couple of weeks. And if you look at the community traders report, you've seen those positions shrink for that reason. All right, Jim. And so now we're talking fundamentals. We're into pollination. We're starting to get into pollination here for a lot of the Corn Belt. Are we going to see these markets really just moving on the basis of these weather reports coming out? I, I believe so. Like I said, with the with no tailwind or no headwinds with the macro economy slipping hard with the, you know energies down, I think we will get trading you know you know essentially weather report to weather report. It is very critical. Remember the trade. You know when we got these balance sheets last week or a week and a half, two weeks ago, the you know they used a one 
excuse me, a 177 national corn yield, a record corn yield, that kept that carry out around a 1415. You start taking a couple bushels, two, three, four bushels off that national trend, all of a sudden your carry out's closer to that tightening billion. The beans are even more important. That bean carry out, you know, 230 was done with keeping a record bean yield at 51 and a half. You take one and a half, two bushels off of that, your bean carry out gets to that ever so tight, um, you know, 100 million bushels. So the market is really going to be dialing in over these forecasts in the next couple of weeks. Jim, looking over at the livestock side of the picture, we're seeing live cattle hang in there well today. What's moving, what's providing some of this backstop strength here in the cattle trade? Well, I think part of it is the stock market's moving back up. Like I said, you're starting to see a nice little rebound, but I think more importantly, the price of gasoline continues to drop. Um, wholesale price in futures has dropped over a dollar. Uh, since the high was made about a month ago, retail price is down over 50, 65 cents. So that's putting a little bit more money into the consumer's pocketbook. And I think that may be giving a little bit of optimism for uh, some beef demand. Then on top of it, this extreme heat, no doubt about it, the livestock struggle in this extreme heat. You tend to struggle to put the weight on. So that little, so theoretically, you should be tightening up the supply of beef being produced as well as pork being produced. So that's also driving some buyers into the market this morning. And Jim, later on this week, I believe this Friday, we have the cattle on feed report. At, at this point in the game, looking at the summer, do you anticipate any surprises or is it still a little too far out into the future? I think it's a little bit too far out in the future. I think what we really going to have to watch for in the cattle market, I think, Mike, over the next couple of weeks is how dry it really gets. If we really start this drought really continues to rage, what does that impact do to the producers of the livestock? You're already hearing a lot of livestock in Texas going to market early simply because they've run out of hay. If that continues to expand further north, it could really eventually, you know, flood the market with meat early, but it could really tighten it up and make it potentially very bullish going into 2023. It certainly could. And well, speaking of bullishness, Jim, this hog market continues its recent run. We're up August contract up $2.50 so far today. Is this strength from China driving hogs? What's going on over here? I think more of it, like I said, I think it's a little bit more weight, you know, weight concerns due to the heat. I think the other thing you're seeing also is the reality is a lot, you're seeing a little bit better demand for pork. Pork is a little bit cheaper protein than beef, so that's helping us a little bit. I don't think it's really China right now. China, unfortunately, has not been a big buyer of pork or really any commodities this year because they continue to do this lockdown. Whenever they get COVID, they lock it down hard and shut down millions of people. So their economy continues to struggle. So we're not actually seeing a lot of demand for pork, which is actually kind of good because it's kind of nice that China demand would start to show eventually down the line. Hopefully that'll just allow this pork market to rally even more. All right, Jim, before we let you go, you've touched on it several times. Energy prices are really impacting people's uh, fortunes here in this inflation time period. Looking at crude oil, where do we go from here, Jim, down or up? Well, I think the near-term trend, I think we could bounce a little bit near-term. There's a lot of uncertainty on Nord Stream 2. You know, the Nord Stream, will, will the Russians get let that back open up? So I, I think we're kind of in a little bit of a balancing act. If I'm a producer and I get this heating oil back down, you know, on the diesel side back down toward that, you know, three, you know, 340, 350 zone, I would encourage them to start thinking about laying off some summer risk because we've still got a lot of risk with what's going on in Russia. That's the truth. These global events certainly aren't allowing us to sleep very easily at night. Jim McCormick, partner at agmarket.net. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. And folks, stick around. We'll dig into this weather issue with John Baranek of DTN Weather when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. 
Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The American Coalition for Ethanol is hosting its 35th annual conference in Omaha, Nebraska, Wednesday, August 10th through Friday, August 12th. This must-attend event for industry leadership features timely updates on ethanol public policy, market development, board of director training, and more. This event combines the detail of high-level training courses with all the fun of a family reunion. For event details, visit ethanol.org. That's ethanol.org. Would you know what to do in a poison emergency? Would you know whom to call? Well, the answer is poison help. 1-800-222-1222. Poison help is a 24-7 government hotline staffed by poison experts. It's free to call and available in over 100 languages. Every second counts in a poison emergency. Don't waste it wondering who to call. Save poison help in your phone today. 1-800-222-1222. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, We can make a difference, bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, we heard from Jim McCormick there in segment one about what is moving the markets, and it's the macro impact. It's the 9.1% inflation. It's the break in the dollar that we're getting. But importantly, this time of year, naturally, it's weather. Bringing us up to speed on what's going on here across the country from a weather forecast is John Baranek at DTN Weather. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be inside today. I'll tell you that. I believe that, John. And let's start there. It is going to be a hot one today for a lot of folks across this country. Bring us up to speed. Who's at risk of the very severe hot weather today? Yeah, really. We're looking at triple-digit heat basically from border to border, from Canada all the way down to Mexico and the Plains, uh, the Dakotas, um, Parts of Montana, even parts of Minnesota might even get in close to that uh, today. And then as far south as northern Mexico, uh, triple-digit heat is going to be on the board here uh, by this afternoon. So it's going to be a very hot day. That also comes with high humidity as well, a few points up in the, you know, approaching or uh, exceeding 70 degrees. That's that's quite extreme to have both the triple-digit heat and that high humidity as well. It is, John. It is going to be stifling out there for folks. If you're working livestock, if you're out there spraying without a cab, boy, my golly, be careful out there today, folks. John, how long do you see this this hot spell staying with us? Well, it depends on where you are. If you're in the Dakotas, Montana, Minnesota, it's just today and maybe tomorrow. Uh, But if you're looking at Nebraska, south through Texas, and even portions, you know, getting into that, that Delta region, Arkansas, Missouri, and in a t- Tennessee, Mississippi, boy, I don't know when it's really going to break. Uh, we're looking at a ridge of high pressure uh, that's kind of expanded across the entire uh, continent right now, but it's really strongest there in the plains and in the western states. And we don't really see that moving uh, all this week or next week. Or the week after that, we're going to have to get into uh, sometime in August to really see that ridge break down. 
Uh, and I'm not very confident on when it's going to do so. Uh, it doesn't mean we're going to have triple-digit heat every day for the next four weeks, but um, I would anticipate that hot weather really sticking around, especially if you're in the central and southern plains, uh, for the next several weeks. John, when we get to a situation like this, when we get weird weather events, it makes a lot of us lay people think, hey, maybe we're a meteorologist too. We start digging in for data. And I saw on Twitter here yesterday floating around after the GFS 8 to 14 day forecast was released yesterday, some folks had highlighted that next Saturday, that model shows temps of 112, I think to like 115 around Grand Island, that, that central Nebraska region. How much stock can we put into those kind of numbers on reports that are still a week out running on models like that? Just about none. I, when, I, when I look at those, I look at kind of temperature trends instead of the actual numbers. You know, a lot of that has to depend on um, exactly where these ridges pop up, cloud cover, which is hard to do uh, outside of several days in advance. There's so much moisture that's going on right now. So if we do get showers there, it probably wouldn't be that hot. And, um, you know, models tend to kind of be a little bit extreme when you get out to the end of it. So, you know, next Saturday is kind of at the end of its model run, and, and I really do not pay any attention to actual numbers that far out. It's just, it, it's just so un unreliable. All right. I think that's good to keep in mind because we are seeing a lot of those folks. There are a lot of folks whose, uh, you know, profit and loss statements are based on their positions here in the markets and, you know, what they share about weather could influence it. So folks always turn to a professional for advice like this. John, it's hot. It's humid. To me, that sounds like thunderstorm weather. Is there a risk of severe weather with this uh, hot wave as well? There is, but it's across the north. So we've got, um, you know, Heat and humidity is just the fuel. You need something to ignite it. And so we're looking at little troughs or ripples in the atmosphere to kind of do that. We've got a big one uh, moving in through uh, British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest today. But it's going to ride east along the uh, Canadian border here. Both today, tomorrow, and, and Wednesday, we've got a pretty good chance of, of strong thunderstorms in kind of northeast Montana through northern North Dakota. That also extends across the border into Canada here today. Uh, tomorrow, it's a little bit more limited. It's more like Southern Ontario and then kind of the Northern Great Lakes region. Um, but, you know, farther South, it's just going to continue to be hot and humid. You need that, you need something to really spark something off um, to, to actually use that fuel. Otherwise it's just fuel sitting around. And it's unfortunate for a lot of us because <laughs> well, when that's sitting around, it's no good for anybody, crops, people, livestock, anybody. No, that is true. It's just frustrating. John, with this set up in place, this hot ridge over the central part of the country, this potential lack of rain actually falling from the humid skies, I imagine you're anticipating an intensification of the drought through the, the central and southern plains? I would. You know, it's, it's kind of unusual, though. We did see some actually pretty decent rainfall over the weekend across the eastern Corn Belt, um, and some showers are still ongoing there uh, here today. Uh, so it might not be as intense here, you know, this week, but, you know, as we go on next week, the week after, uh, we'll definitely see it spreading throughout the entire country is, is, is my anticipation. You know, those areas that are in the plains, uh, Nebraska, southward, um, already have a, a high enough drought in there. Uh, but there's portions of like eastern Kansas where technically they're not in drought and northern Missouri, they're not in drought, but we don't we see the heat. We don't see a whole lot of shower activity coming up, so I would expect that that to be kind of an area this week to, to see some drought increases. John, let's spend a little more time over in the eastern Corn Belt for a minute. You mentioned some of the rainfall that fell through there this past weekend. I saw that yesterday, not far from Muncie, Indiana, got eight inches of rain. Was that a widespread rain event? Do you, do you recall? It wasn't. So, I mean, and that's kind of an important part, you know, um, of the country right now because they were seeing there in central Indiana some pretty intense drought just start flashing up um, in, in that area. Yeah, just west of Muncie, it was kind of a, like a two or three county area that got six plus inches of rain in, in, in parts of them. Um, but, it, you know, it was kind of a small area. There's all other small areas kind of around Ohio and southern Illinois that also got some, you know, two to four inch rainfall amounts. But uh, yeah, that, that really intense rainfall was in, it was in a relatively small area in, in central Indiana. 
As you look out over the, the broader parts of the eastern Corn Belt, Illinois, Indiana, you get down into Kentucky there. We've got dryness. We've got the, the drought sort of developing. John, are there any big changes to the, the current models that have you concerned for that part of the country? They've got some shallow rooted crops over there. Yeah. And, you know, with the with the early or the, the wet spring and everything and everybody getting, you know, crops didn't really uh, you know, spread their roots too too deep. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, as, as the, the, the drought kind of started picking up, that they, they tried to do so. And, you know, they got a little bit of topsoil moisture here and maybe kind of kick them up a little bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm definitely worried about the eastern Corn Belt, um, even if they do get some uh, rain chances here every so often, that, you know, it's, it's just topsoil moisture that they're getting. It's not the deep stuff that they really need to kind of sustain them if they do get this heat coming in. You know, you know, we were talking about the heat in the plains and kind of the western corn belt being kind of extreme. It's not going to be as extreme in the eastern corn belt, but that doesn't mean they're not going to get these bursts of, you know, 90, 95 degree heat every so often. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm definitely concerned about uh, that area of the country as well. John, let's go south to the Gulf, to the Atlantic, to the tropics. Anything developing out there we need to be keeping an eye on as of yet? Not right now. Uh, it's actually pretty quiet. Um, you know, there's, without getting too technical, uh, there's nothing really, you know, going on and really sparking thunderstorms or, or waves that we're looking at going across the Atlantic to really uh, get us concerned. You know, the, the thing that we'll have to watch is, you know, some of these fronts that are coming through the country aren't really doing much for temperatures, but they're producing showers and thunderstorms down there in the southeast. You know, if, if tail ends of these fronts get stuck in the northern Gulf of Mexico, that could actually form something really close to shore. You know, usually these aren't the intense hurricanes that we're really concerned about, uh, but they could be locally heavy rain producers there for the, the Gulf Coast or, or down into the southeast um, coast off the coast of Carolina. Something like that could happen, uh, but that you can't really see until you know a few days in advance. That doesn't really kind of show up until the conditions kind of present themselves. All right, so we'll just keep an eye on it. This is the season, right, for Gulf activity to start to ramp up. Yeah, I mean, July is not really a huge month for that, it's kind of like late August through, um, you know, October where we really see that. Um, but in terms of, of, of the Gulf of Mexico, we could see something pop up at any time here. Uh, the, the season for that has really expanded, um, you know, really getting into the late May is really when it started to expand. But, yeah, we don't really see the heart of that really until kind of late August to show up. All right, we'll continue watching to see what develops down there in the Gulf. In the meantime, John Baranek, DTN Weather, thanks for bringing us up to speed on this dangerous heat that's coming across the country this week. You're welcome, Mike. Always good to talk to you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Jackie Fatka, policy editor at Farm Progress, when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. Well, NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs. And NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Linder, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together, and whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk, it's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together, and it, you know, it's been done since... Um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957, so it's very important that uh, we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. While the grain market's continuing to move higher, led by the soy complex and wheat futures, especially Chicago wheat here this morning with corn following behind with double-digit strength. The market's strong to start out the week and gaining more strength as the morning goes on, giving tailwinds from the U.S. dollar, crude oil, and having plenty of fundamental help on their own as well. 
U.S. forecasts are shown uh, coming up with heat holding over the plains and Midwest for the next two-plus weeks with only very scattered rain chances through the end of the month as well. Weekend rain slid to the east of the heart of the belt, mostly as expected, and further systems looks to favor the north and northeast as well. The central belt, Iowa, and the surrounding areas, they're entering pollination during this unfavorable weather pattern, and no real change is on the horizon. Meanwhile, we talk about wheat. We see the complex holding up here as we work through the morning. Traders eyeing the GASC tender this week and hoping for further export sales news following a strong weekly figure last Thursday. We continue to watch the discussions between Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, and the UN about a grain corridor out of the Black Sea. Also watching inflation and what is going on on Wall Street as we have the Fed set to raise interest rates again coming up later this month with talk of a 100 basis point increase still being floated around. We'll be watching all of the factors weighing on the markets very closely as we work through this week. Some numbers right now. September quarter up 12 at three quarters, 617. August beans up 40 at a quarter, 1506 at a quarter. Chicago wheat, September up 39 and a half, 816 at a quarter. September Kansas City wheat up 36 and a half, 874. Spring wheat, September up 35 and a quarter at 942. August live cattle up 97, 135.90. August feeder cattle up 45, 176.80. August hogs up 255, 112.37. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. You know, last week on Thursday, we had the opportunity to talk to Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. He joined the program to discuss the past year's efforts that USDA has made in promoting competition in the meat processing space. And he ran down a lot of initiatives and avenues that USDA had pursued. Well, this is that time of year when folks are looking back and saying, all right, how has this past year gone since the Biden administration pledged to increase ag competition? Well, one of the folks who has been digging into these details is Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor over at Farm Progress, and she looked back at the past year in competition. And Jackie, what'd you find? Are we making gains in ag competition? You know, I think if anything, I don't know if you can call them gains, but there's definitely been more attention and um, solicitation of trying to get some insight on some of the things that are, are facing farmers. Um, I think we've heard many times capitalism without competition isn't capitalism, it's exploitation. I feel like President Biden definitely coined that phrase, um, said that many a times, but, you know, he is he is taking note of what's going on in the the crop supply side of things, whether it's uh, whether it's fertilizer or some of the crop inputs that producers are are seeing increased costs on, and so there's been a couple of calls for comments on those types of, um, you know, whether there is too much concentration, whether there are things that can be done. Um, there's been some money that this administration has tried to allocate to increase, you know, domestic fertilizer production. So that's something. Um, and then you, you mentioned talking with Vilsack, uh, Secretary Vilsack, you know, there's a lot of focus on the meat sector and what's going on in the 
in that uh, space. And we're still waiting to see some of those final rules on, we call them the GYPSA rules, but the Packer and Stockyards Act updates that this administration has promised and seeing what they might also do on you know, product labeling for meat and some of those things that, that could make a difference on overall uh, competition in the ag sector. Jackie, it's been a year. The elections are coming up. Do you feel as though this administration's focus on competition is is going to persist? Are they doing things to make this focus permanent? You know, I I would say, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a uh, just the Biden administration. I mean, when you look at the cattle market, you you we've seen some bipartisan support on some of the things to to address some of the concentration. So I don't necessarily think this is purely political. I mean, it's always interesting to see what is political and good policy. And uh, I do think that this will continue. I think this isn't necessarily just to get more votes. Um, I, I do think there is a desire to, to make, just shine a light on some of this. And so, you know, that's, that's good if uh, that doesn't create more bureaucracy which that's always the concern. You know, we might try to accomplish one thing, but in attempting to accomplish maybe decreasing some of the anti-competitive behaviors, if we actually increase bureaucracy, then maybe that actually makes it harder to do business. So it's, it's always that balancing act when it comes to making good policy. That's right. Every policy has trade-offs, Jackie, that is for sure. As you're thinking about the actions that have been taken, of course, there's a lot that has been done on the executive side. You touched on USDA, what we're seeing at the ITC. On the legislative side, I think the the big win that I've heard so far is the Ocean Shipping Reform Act and potentially this cattle bill. Have there been any other legislative victories for competition? You know, I would see those as the biggest ones. You know, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, I think, was, uh, you know, and that was really uh, a big win, I think. Also a bipartisan effort on both sides, the House and the Senate. And we've talked a lot about, about that bill to just basically give the FNC some teeth and being able to, to really have the authority to go after some of these ocean shippers who may be acting in a way that's anti-competitive. And actually, last week, there was some action from FMC. Now that that bill is signed into law, they've actually already put out some guidance to basically codify the fact that they can have more more say in what's going on. And so, you know, we're starting to see that actually already come into fruition with good good actions that could come out of that. Uh, you mentioned the cattle cattle bill. You know, that's that's an issue that really is regional. You know, a lot of folks in the Midwest would like to see that come up for a vote maybe before election so they could go on record. But there's a lot of people in the South who are really concerned. Obviously, a lot more Texas producers use different marketing arrangements than, say, your Iowa producer or South Dakota producer. And so it really is it's regional. So those legislative actions are, are different depending on, you know, where you're at, who you're representing, uh, not necessarily a, a D or R issue. But ocean shipping reform, I really do think there's some good things there. And there's more follow-up. Like there actually is a, a, a follow-up bill that's already been introduced. Now, whether that, I, I don't see that happening yet this year, but you know, there's momentum building to make sure that we get some some good actions and good fruit that comes out of that bill as well. All right. Well, speaking of momentum, perhaps not building, Jackie, ag trade nominees. We've got the USDA's uh, ag chief ag negotiator. We've got the USTR's chief ag negotiator position, both still sitting open. Ag groups wrote in several letters last week, hey, get something done on this. Congress could do something, Jackie. Are they going to get either of these two folks, either Doug McCallop or uh, Alexis Taylor, into these roles before the election? Um, you know, I, I spoke with Senator Chuck Grassley last week, and I asked him that question. And they've not started any of the actual hearings for those two individuals. So, you know, even before they have a nomination hearing, they usually have all of the senators like to meet one on one with those nominees. And uh, the fact that we're coming up on August recess and you mentioned the elections, you know, a lot of times they end up spending more time in their home district. So they don't always spend as much time in D.C. in these final months if they're up for reelection. Uh, so it, 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 it would be a hard a hill to climb, I think, to actually have those positions uh, advanced before November. Now, that being said, they could 
quickly do it, but usually it's, it's you know, you have your hearing nomination. It might take a couple months before you have a, a full Senate vote on those nominations, unless it's something that's really trying to get across the finish line quickly. And I'm not really getting that vibe that this is a, oh, we got to push this vote quick. But we obviously, from an ag standpoint, could benefit if we did have these individuals, especially as we talked uh, last week, they officially launched the Kenya negotiations. There's a lot of hope that we could see something with the UK. Um, and then also, you know, this Indo-Pacific economic framework, which is another way to give us a re-entry back into those countries in the Southeast Asia region where we are not really in a, a trade agreement because we got out of the TPP, CPTPP, whatever you want to call it now. So obviously we need, we need some ag trade cheerleaders, uh, you know, whether that's at USDA, which is more of a uh, promoting ag trade, but, you know, the chief ag negotiator at USDR is the one at the table. So when we have these trade discussions starting, we, we really do need an ag voice at the table. And I'm glad you brought up that Kenyan-United States free trade agreement. Jackie, this is the first real free trade agreement we've opened up, I believe, under the Biden administration. Do we know, are they going to be talking agricultural issues with this? You know, I think that is one of the uh, seven, I believe it's seven kind of frameworks or uh, pillars, so they like to call it. And so, you know, ag is something that is of importance. You know, the tricky thing with with ag in Kenya is they don't uh, allow for GMOs. So we already know that, you know, that could be a that could be a stumbling block, stumbling block. But you know, there is opportunities to to expand ag trade there, whether that is our own grains, whether that's more meat, because Kenya is a, a growing population and, and more people as, you know, they come out of poverty do want more protein in their diets and so some some opportunities there. But yes, ag is hopefully going to be part of that initial discussion um, and and I said seven, it is engagement on 10 different areas of focus. And so one of them is agriculture. So ag is on the table. They are hoping to have that in part of the overall discussions with Kenya. So we can always hope that there's more opportunities to grow that relationship with Kenya. Absolutely. Kenya and Nigeria, two countries in Africa, I hear a lot about as opportunities for American ag exports going forward. But in order to sell stuff, Jackie, we got to be able to grow stuff, which means we need crop protection chemicals available to American growers. I talked to Atrazine last week with the corn growers in D.C. It is a hot, hot topic. I understand that uh, some of the leaders of the House Ag Committee and the Senate Ag Committee have now gotten on board to call on the EPA to get things squared around on triazines. You know, it is just really becoming concerning if we start to see some of these key key crop protection tools, whether it's glyphosate, whether it's atrazine, uh, so many different ones. If we're starting to depart from what we have had as the gold standard with our FIFRA, with our uh, registration process here in the U.S., and all of a sudden we start allowing courts to dictate or special interest groups dictate what can and can't be used and, and not allowing that certainty to to be there for producers. You know, producers need to know that when they buy a seed that's uh, Roundup Ready, that they can use glyphosate on it that year. And, uh, or the same thing with, you know, there there is a, a growing concern on, on whether the regulatory process is going to remain certain to provide that certainty to producers. And, you mentioned uh, Senator Bozeman, the lead Republican in the Senate Ag Committee, and and Representative Thompson on the House Ag Committee, the leading Republican there. Both of them have written letters to, to just reemphasize we need to have these crop protection tools or we're not going to be able to produce what we need to produce. Absolutely. Hopefully the EPA will be listening. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor at Farm Progress, thanks for joining us today. Always great chatting with you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk Farm Progress Show with Matt Youngman and Chris Snyder when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. 
Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in to AOA the first Wednesday of every month to hear from the National Corn Growers Association in our new segment, The Monthly Grind. NCGA is made up of nearly 40,000 members. And, you know, of that, there's more corn farmers that pay dues into checkoffs. And NCGA manages it with the staff in St. Louis and in D.C. here. We get together, we have the action teams that the officers, John Lender, Chris Edgington, Tom Hegg put together, and we bring everybody's ideas together. And whether you're a small state, a big state, whether you're interested in livestock, new usage, ethanol, everything comes together here. We talk. It's kind of that clearinghouse where all the ideas come together. And, it, you know, it's been done since, um, you know, NCJ was founded in 1957. So it's very important that... Uh, we have that one voice. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back. Summer is moving along. We heard from John Baranek earlier in the show about the heat wave that's going to hit most of the country. And of course, when things get this warm, Boy, that tells you it's getting to be almost time for the Farm Progress Show. Time to get together, see what's out there, what's new in the world of farm machinery, what's new in ag technology, and to catch up with all your old friends and to touch base, see how things are going around the country. Well, we are getting fired up for the Farm Progress Show here at AOA. I'm very excited. We will be broadcasting live from the Trelleborg booth. We're going to talk about today Chris Neidert, the Marketing Training and Development Manager at Trelleborg, is joining me along with Matt Youngman, the Events Director at the Farm Progress show Chris thank you so much for joining us today Mike top of the morning to you always nice to speak with you great to speak with you as well and Matt thank you so much for joining us how's the corn looking up there at Boone I am on the way to find out Mike you literally caught me on the trip on the trip to Boone I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out I'm, I'm hearing good things uh, you know the heat wave you mentioned is is cranking that corn right along it is indeed, Matt, as folks are getting prepared, hopefully getting their tickets bought for this event from August 30th, August 31st, and September 1st. Maybe it's been a couple years since they've had the chance to get to Boone. Those showgrounds are always changing. I understand you guys have done some paving this year for the Varied Industry Tent Area, and it's unique paving solution. What'd you do? Yeah, that is really exciting. That I, that, I haven't seen that in person either. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, that is a partnership with Iowa State University and the Iowa Soybean Board, uh, we've all partnered up, and the, the ground where the Varied Industries tent will stand is now covered with a soybean-based asphalt. And that obviously a lot of research going on there at Iowa State and a lot of partnership with, with the Soybean Association, and a really great place to show that off and, and going to put that to work during the show. None of those over 100 exhibitors will have to worry about having wet feet or anything standing in that booth with a good firm soybean asphalt under their feet. Fantastic, folks. If you like to make your way through that varied industries tent, it is going to be a little fancier this year. You'll keep those shoes dry and clean. Chris, with Trelleborg at Farm Progress this year, you are the head of training. I know education's a key component. What do you guys bring into the show this year? Well, Mike, we're really excited. We're actually going to have an educational area there uh, this year where the uh, attendees of the show can come on in. Just a couple of the subjects that we're going to be uh, featuring. Uh, soil health, uh, that's a big topic. Uh, carbon sequestration, you know, that's starting to, again, be another hot topic. And uh, precision app application of inputs, you know, inputs are on the lips of everybody. So, we're really excited uh, to have that kind of educational area available to the people. Absolutely. And Chris, do you know where the Trelleborg booth is going to be quite yet? Can people get us on their maps? Yes. So we've moved this year. We're, we're getting a bigger booth. Uh, we're going to be at booth 928. We're going to be right on Central Avenue. We're going to be between 9th and 10th. So it's a really nice location, Mike. Uh, we're going to be right very close, I believe, when you come in, so everybody will see it. It's bigger, so we've got a lot of things there. You know, th this is our Super Bowl uh, of uh, farm shows, and we really build a lot of things to this. You know, me being in marketing and training, we're talking about it all the time. We're going to have experts in the booth. Our area sales managers are going to be there. Noberto Herbner, he's our uh technical service manager, our senior technical service manager, Kevin Herricks, our field engineer. So we're going to have quite a bit of expertise in the booth. If you have any kind of agricultural tire questions, come on in and we'll have the people to answer it. And if we can't answer it on the spot, we'll, we'll get an answer for you. But I'll be surprised if we won't be able to help you out there, Mike. Absolutely. Chris, that is one of my favorite parts of the Farm Progress Show is it is the Super Bowl for these ag manufacturers. Folks, they want to connect with you. They want to meet the grower. They want to hear your concerns. So you can get to a place like Farm Progress and you can meet the higher ups. If you've got some concerns, complaints, questions, it's a place to go and get some FaceTime. Matt, you're pretty used to having the big wigs at these companies come down to Farm Progress, aren't you? Yeah, you know, it's it's a real it's a real pleasure to be part of that event and know that when the growers come to the event they're going to be able to meet with the experts meet with 
up to CEO level people and, and have conversations with, with people all the way up the food chain. And, and I think you'll, if you talk to those folks, they'll tell you that they get just as much out of it or more than the farmers do because to get that, that firsthand input, that firsthand feedback from the farmers is something that they really value. And they know that when they get there, they're going to be able to spend three good days having really good conversations and, and everybody's really tired at the end of it because, because it's, it's been a lot of good work happening. It has indeed. And of course, they're going to be talking with CEOs, they're going to be talking with the experts, and they're going to be going out witnessing things happening in action. Matt, autonomous showcases, farm progress bringing back that back this year? Yeah, bigger and better than ever. You know, when the last time we were in Boone was way back in 2018. And that area has obviously grown significantly since we were in Boone in 2018. And so that area is is more than tripled in size right outside of the right outside of gate three out there on the way to the field demonstrations you're going to see all kinds of things running out there we we just recently put something together with iowa state they're doing a bunch of research and they're going to have some machines running out there in addition to all of the raven uh tools and then several sprayer drones and uh, you know a a robotic autonomous so, uh, uh, field uh, uh, field soil sampler um, just all kinds of those different kinds of tools running out there. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily something you get in the seat and, and experience firsthand, but you can get right up close and personal with it and learn how it might impact your operations at some point in the future. That's the thing. These technologies are always changing. And if you want to see what's coming next, you've kind of got to be in front of them. And folks, that's what happens at Farm Progress. These innovations come down, they're on display, they get the chance to meet, interact, talk to everybody. Chris, we are very excited to be working with Trelleborg. Can't wait to see you when we get to Boone. It's coming up. Folks, get your ticket spot. That's August 30th, 31st, and September 1st in Boone, Iowa. Visit the website at farmprogressshow.com. Very excited to be working with Trelleborg to bring AOA to Farm progress. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA as the world of agriculture continues to turn. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.